Coming up on Rugby Wrap-Up, talking French rugby and the Spanish Inquisition. Brought to you by our friends of the British Council. Hey everybody, welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy talking rugby in New York City at the Fantasy Sports Network Studio 34 on West 35th Street. And we have a couple of international all-stars, uh, guests, if you will, dignitaries. Uh, Mr. Pierre Arnaud. Oh, no. Wait. How are you? Wait. And uh, Mr. Stephen Luris. Etienne. Ah, wait, wait, d'accord. Okay, for, I'm going to drop. I don't want to ruin uh, everything for everybody and, and brag about my French. Depuis longtemps que je parle français, right? Yeah. Mais en anglais, we're going to talk a little bit first uh, about French rugby, but I want to introduce you to the folks at home that may not know you. Uh, our esteemed friend, Stephen, as you uh, likely know, played rugby at Claremont. For a period of time, probably what uh, I got 1976 to 1988. Exactly. And this is before. Exactement. Yeah. Exactement. Uh, this is before, unfortunately for you, the onset of professional rugby. Yeah, exactly. But I got to ask you a question. You had to get paid something. I mean, you, did you have a full time day job playing for them? No, you know, uh, as rugby was uh, at this time. You were involved in the game. Then after, you can work for the city hall. You can work for... <laughs> Allegedly show up for a job? <laughs> yes, to open a bar, right. to open a sports shop. Very nice. This was the project. But uh, finally, I decided to move to Paris and, and to follow the and, university. And uh, you studied at uh, Sorbonne, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? Steve? Did you study at the Sorbonne? I did not study at the Sorbonne. Of mm. the many, you know, internationally acclaimed universities that I studied at, yeah, that I wasn't mean, you, one of them. Yeah, I mean, you have like 75 degrees to, to be the ultimate the perpetual three. student. Three degrees, no job. <laughs> you work it out. <laughs> Listen, I have, uh, I have no degrees and no job. No, no I have a degree. University de Buffalo, where I studie français. It's famous in Paris. Yeah. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Second only to the Sorbonne, right? Yeah. All right, so... Um, Aside from that, you were at the French embassy in in Vietnam as an attaché. Yeah. You know, I'm smelling spy here. <laughs> right? <laughs> this has got all the makings Pretty of clear. It. Pretty clear. You know, a, a job where he's actually, oh, no, he's a rugby player, but he's getting paid to do other things. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so far, so good? Yes. All right. No, no Russian was involved. <laughs> So it was back to Paris. You stopped playing rugby after your your stint as the attaché, wink, wink, in Vietnam. Uh, then you started working for the French Rugby Union Yeah. from 2003 to 2006, doing what? I was the head of marketing department for the Rugby World Cup 2007. World oh, Cup. God, we could have gotten tickets. Oh, that would have been great. And then I was the head of the Under-21 World Cup. Who was uh, 2006? 2006 was in Clermont-Ferrand, my uh, oui. Oui, oui. home city. So how cool was that, being the w the marketing person for the Rugby World Cup 2007? You know, we were working with RLB at this time, and all the rights have been sold to IMG. So it was uh, it was the uh, beginning of rugby. The yeah. No, no much sponsor was interested in uh, World Cup. It was not the same level as today. Right. But, but uh, this was a nice job to to hire the new sponsor and yeah. to work with uh, international uh, brands. And that later on became part of your resume. Well, that became your 
uh, part of your resume, and you became the CEO of Stade Francais. Yeah. Right? Yeah, this was uh, in uh, 2011 when uh, Thomas Savard took over the club. He asked me to join him and to, to manage the team because he, he was following the family business. He had no time to follow rugby and the team, so he asked me to be a CEO there. That's awesome. And uh, I spent the last six years before the takeover from um, Dr. Wild. Right, so there was the whole thing with Rassing and Stad, right? Yeah. What, did, what was your opinion on that? My opinion is, uh, you know, it's like uh, Biarritz Bayonne. It's if you look at the market, you should be merged because there is no enough space for two teams. But if you look at history and uh, you can't get rid of the history yeah. and players, players' family, they are scared to to have a new team which are not the same color. Of, uh, you know, the pink was so strong at yeah. this time, and yep. merge with uh, racing was a s- different. Uh, it was to that point, if I could interject, yes. so not just an opinion, but you were actively involved in that whole process in actually negotiating the merger. Um, so why do you think that uh, it didn't happen, as we discussed with players, was it fans? Yeah, you know, the, the public f- supporters fo- are following uh, players, because if the star in the game is the always the players. So if the players don't want the, the merge, then the sponsor or supporters are following the players. The, the main problem was uh, this project was very secret one, that nobody knew about it. And from one day... Spy. From one day, <laughs> it happens to the, to the media. And everybody was shocked. <coughs> because how can two famous French rugby clubs sure. speak about merger without... Anybody knowing any, anybody about involved. it. Anybody involved. So Comment conspiracy? It was this was our mistake that to to do it as a business and secret, uh, yeah. nobody to involve, and and then the, everybody was shocked. And how quickly that decision was rescinded? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> okay, we're we're only kidding. We were just kidding. It was a joke. So, so Pierre, do, do you think do you think Paris can't support two professional teams? Okay, for for the supporters, it should be only one team from the French for the number of supporters. Of rugby supporters and habits, because if you see the in sport in France, soccer is number one. From the last thirty years, everybody tried to have two teams in Paris. Some billionaires spend money. Some okay, everybody was involved. There is only one club: is Paris Saint Germain, and today there is one strong team. But for rugby, it will be the same. You yeah. you have no space for two two teams, and this is a French. Uh, relation with sports that we can follow one team and in Paris especially they are looking for a winning team because Paris is a shining city yes so they are looking for a number one team yes if you have a number two with number five nobody will follow so you should be number one so that's why the Ce n'est pas bon. no right. that's why we say we, right. we will merge the two team and try to do the best all right we have to take a quick break but Stephen I want you to think about that can New York hold two professional teams? Because New York is like a lot like Paris, and we'll be right back after this. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig & Whistle, on West 36th Street. All right, and we are back. Matt McCarthy for Rugby Wrap-Up, the Studio Fantasy Sports Network in New York City, talking rugby, international rugby with Stephen Lewis and Mr. Pierre Arnaud. Um, 
Stephen, we left it as a uh, cliffhanger. Can New York carry two professional teams? Because you just heard it from this gentleman that Paris can't or shouldn't. It rugby? Yes, we. No way. Absolutely not. Ever. Not in my lifetime. Get off my shit. Get out of this. <laughs> you can leave. You, you can leave and don't let the door hit not you. Not happen. Not happen. Let's just concentrate on getting one. Let supporting teams, getting their uh, act together, and um, making that a success. So I think that's the important thing, rather than uh, two teams of pipe. What if they wear pink? Be my guest. <laughs> Be my guest. All right. Okay. Fair enough. All right. So you said you had a question. Yeah. Yeah. So I would. What I want to bring up or ask you, Pierre, is to um, there's commonly when we look at French rugby, we see the strength of the clubs. Okay, we see a lot of money in French club rugby, and we see the clubs driving decisions. How has that affected the performance of the national team, in the sense that the clubs are pulling one way, and the national team perhaps doesn't get, or the national team coach doesn't always get what he wants. Yes, uh, if you see the history of the league, it was uh, settled in uh, 1996 with uh, Serge Blanco was involved. And Serge Blanco was strong with the French Reunion. So it was two people who were involved, Bernard Lapassé and Serge Blanco. And they were managing the French rugby between the club and the Reunion. Then, now if you see the situations, you have two different ways. The rugby league is managed by some billionaires with uh, all the rugby fans, and the French rugby union managed by Bernard Laporte, who is more business-oriented and with different point of view of the club. So now they are bargaining. They are trying to do uh, a rugby, and everybody is taking this carpet from his side. So we need to have a more clear uh, operati operating agreement between the French rugby union and the league. Well, that leads to my question about Les Bleus. Uh, the French national team, how can you, what needs to be done to get them back in the conversation about being one of the powers in international test rugby? Because they're not now, and the, flint, the French flair seems to be gone for French big bodies slamming forward, right? Yeah. Uh, that flair seems to be gone. And is it gone because players aren't getting enough playing time because the owners are spending tons of money on foreign players coming into play in France. Okay, one part of the... It's, uh, the problem is came from the... There is less French player in the all top 14 team. So we, we are resolving the problem right. step you by don't, step. You don't have a lot... Of, you, you, there are, there's less players that are French on the top 14 teams yes, now. Yes, right. yes. You, now we are trying to resolve this problem for... But it will take three, four years that there will be less foreign players in the, the team top 14 team but uh, also we have a problem at school the the, the, the boys are playing rugby uh, late you know now we, when you see French national team they don't start with rugby they start with soccer they start with mm. basketball they start with other sports so they don't have the basics of rugby so it's a catch-22 because you want the kids to be playing early but they're not playing early because they're watching these other sports maybe because they're seeing the French team is not doing so well yeah. Is that part of it? Yes, yes. And the French player was start from the age of six, seven. The, the, the youngest was looking for the old games. Now when you have new players, they start maybe at 15, 16 rugby. Some are starting, uh, if you take the Luzet, the uh, prop from the uh, French national team, he started uh, three years ago. Yeah. So he, he don't know what's... Uh, yeah. 
was rugby roots yeah. and, and how was the French uh, team playing. Right. So we need to have uh, to attract yeah. young players and to be rugby to be more professional at the young stage and uh, at the school. But so Steve, we've got the brush back with owners of these teams in England and the Premiership as well. The owners own their players, and and you're seeing players being asked to play too much rugby because they're being paid big bucks by professional franchises or teams and owners, and then they're they they're beholden to the national team, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. So England and France are very similar in that regard, in that the uh, primary employer of the players are the clubs, and so there is this friction between the clubs and the league competition and the national union. In smaller countries, Scotland, Ireland, New Zealand, the national union is either owns the clubs or controls the clubs. Right. So you don't have the same conflicts. Um, so that's the explanation for that. I have a quick question for Pierre. Um, historically, French rugby has been, um, the powerhouse has been the south and the southwest with maybe a couple of teams in Paris. Um, and obviously of late, my team, Les Bagnards, are doing quite well. That's oh, Les Bagnards. Stade Rochelet, yes. La Rochelle. Um, is rugby considered a national sport or is it considered regional plus Paris? It's, um, you know, the, the rugby will develop where you mentioned about La Rochelle. It will develop where the city have to be uh, enough players and enough sponsor for one team. Where soccer is strong, rugby is, is falling. Where rugby is strong, soccer may stay as Paris, Lyon and, and uh, Marseille, let's say. Uh, the problem is uh, in Paris, there is not a long history because Stade Francais was uh, province, provincial uh, rugby players were going for studies. This was the, the Paris team. That was all the players, when uh, Max Guazzini started Stade Francais, he was, he was looking for Bordeaux players, Clermont players, Bayonne. So all are coming from the southeast uh, of France. That's a uh, problem of uh, France um, to orient rugby there. But now, let's say for, if you see the Pro de Deux, you have some van, which is uh, mm -hmm. in Brittany, you have Nevers, you have a new, new team from the north. So I'd, I believe in the future, it will be national sports, except from the northeast, which is soccer for 100%. And, they and that's it, no change in there. All right, we got we to gotta go soon, but so I want to get this in. We, we have a mess going on in rugby in, in Europe uh, with the Tier 2 nations. And, and we're calling it the Rugby Spanish Inquisition. Stephen, explain to the folks at home briefly, and then I want to get your opinions. Yeah, so it's actually all about qualification for the next World Cup. Um, rugby Europe, which um, operates the European qualification process, has got itself into a big mess um, around two things. One is the refereeing of the um, Belgium-Spain game. Belgium won against the odds. Spain were um, eliminated. And there was a great deal of controversy because the referees and the staff were Romanian. And Romania was the team that stood to benefit from that decision. So that was the first issue. The second issue is you now have multiple questions about player eligibility. First Belgium, yeah. and now in particular Romania, uh, where a player of, I believe, Tongan extraction had played in a seven series, and that therefore he's considered captured and not able to play for another team. Right, I think one of the headlines was this sevens player saves rugby, right? Because they think now world rugby's got an excuse. Right, so, right. but now we're in a situation where you have issues with Spain, Romania, and Belgium. Um, and the Russians are the well, ones that are filing the complaint. 
right? So there are only two teams left standing, Germany and Russia. And it, whichever way you look at it, between the refereeing and the eligibility, this is a black eye for world rugby. World rugby have, I feel, just tried to pawn it off rugby Europe. They have yet to come out with a statement uh, on their decision on it, um, but it's not a good thing. Yeah, so what, what do you think? The, what's the French take on all this? You know, the Romania team is a Latin team. Uh, so this is uh, always the, the they were support from <coughs> French to Romania for the rugby union. Uh, now the referee have been appointed by a government body for uh, for, yeah. the, for the game. So now as he was appointed, decision was made. The, the players play the games and that's all. So so do you think they should replay this game? No, no, no. But uh, I think what's interesting is they can deduct points. Th- th- Here's something that didn't really make the headlines, but the Romanian coach, Lynn Howells, who's Welsh, and Rob Moffat, the assistant coach, who's Scottish, they quit. <clears throat> they quit three, four days ago. It wasn't a big story. If they're quitting, it kind of tells you. You smell something. Smell something. Funny, yeah. Which is not good. Um, so you don't think they should – do you think they should play the re- replay the match? Replay, no. No. No replay, no replay. All right, but I, I read something else that said that um, they can deduct points from Romania for this, for the infraction of using the player. And if that's the case, then Spain gets in and Romania has to go into the playoff. Yeah, I, I, I think they can't do anything about the referee, right? You cannot. That would be just completely injurious to the whole respect we have for officials. So you, you can't go on that one. We have to accept that result. You can talk about eligibility. You could say the Belgians had an ineligible player, which means Spain get a forfeit. The Romanians had an in, ineligible player against Russia and a couple of other teams, so they forfeit their points. That's probably the only logical step where rugby can take at this stage. And that would force Romania to go into the playoff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not just not just can be, be completely ineligible. No. As I, a I think it's no, I, I think that it's one player. But I mean, I don't get that. You're admitting that they've done something, yeah, but, if that's the case. But you're not. You're not admitting. You're not necessarily saying it was malicious or it was intentional. I mean, the the, the laws around eligibility are, are somewhat opaque. Yeah. Being captured means is it under twenties? Is it sevens? There's also an Olympic exemption in an Olympic year for sevens. Yeah. So the, the rules are not clear. I mean, they're clear, but they're um, there's two or three or four rules that apply. All right, I'm sorry, fellas, but we have to go. We are out of time. And once again, I could talk rugby with you, my friend, and you, my friend, uh, till the cows come home. But they have come home, and we have to get out of here. So on behalf of that, I'd like to thank my, mon ami, Pierre Honneur, and Merci. Stéphane Réurus, uh, <laughs> Le Lizard. Comment dit on lizard in, in French? Lizard. Lizard. It's a cognate, right? Okay. Of course it is. All right. On that, on that note, of course it is. On that <laughs> note, on behalf of these beautiful men, Matt McCarthy for Rugby Wrap-Up at Fantasy Sports Network Studio 34. Talking rugby in New York City, baby. Signing off.